You know, when you give, when I give, it's a lot more than just taking money from your account or your wallet or your purse or your whatever they call that for ladies. Um, It's a lot more than just taking money from you to the church. It actually is honoring what God said and who God is and how God set things up. In fact, it actually qualifies you for greater revelation. It's not the only qualifying factor, but your, your giving actually will affect your revelation. Uh, let's look at Philippians chapter 4. Well, I'll start with verse 13 because it's such a good verse. And Joel this morning quoted it to us when we were uh, kind of going back through every morning uh, before we start the worship rehearsal. We kind of go back through things the Lord maybe quickened to your spirit uh, the week before. Because if you don't grab hold of some of those things, you'll let it get away from you. And you'll find like, wait a minute, I didn't think about that till a week ago. And the Lord really quickened me this to me, and I actually haven't done anything about it. So it's good, you know, if you kind of take notes, or if you don't take notes, maybe just driving home, uh, either by yourself or with someone else, or traveling home, you just say, hey, what would you get out of that message? Because when you speak that, it'll, it'll kind of solidify, and you'll remember, and then the Lord will give you more revelation as you speak of those things. Because I really can't teach you anything. I can read words, I can yield to the Holy Spirit, uh, flow with his anointing. But if you don't have the Spirit of God working in your own life, showing you, making it real to you, well, then it's not going to do you a lot of good. But when he makes it real, it goes beyond the natural. In fact, you're kind of like, uh, uh, I can't explain it. I cannot explain it. But, but that verse, and then you'll read the verse, and, and uh, you're just like, you're saying the same thing that you just said before you got understanding from the Lord. Well, that's not just for ministers. That is for every believer, every single believer. The second that you are born again, you are born not from this world. You're born from above. Jesus said Nicodemus was a ruler of the law when Jesus was here on the earth. And uh, Nicodemus was like, you know, how can a man go to heaven? Like, what's going to happen? And Jesus said very simply, he said, well, you must be born again. He didn't say you should be born again. It would be nice if you were born again. He said you must be born again. And if you look in the margin of your Bible, it actually says born again means born from above. So if 2 Corinthians 5.17 says, if any man or anyone be in Christ, he is a new creature, brand new creature. Most people's problem, if you're already born again, most of the time, here's what our problem is. That is part of it because you don't say anything. But the problem is, you'll look and you'll say he's a new creature, but then you act by your feelings. Well, I don't feel like a new creature. I don't feel like I think like a new creature. Well, your thinking's not going to change unless you feed on the words of God. When you feed upon those words, Romans 12 tells us that feeding on the word of God is just like a metamorphosis of a caterpillar to a butterfly. If you look up the original word in the Greek, it's the same root word that's used for metamorphosis, meaning like a complete and total change. In fact, my children, we homeschool them, and if we didn't teach that in homeschool, you could say, hey, look at this moth, look at this caterpillar. Are these... Uh, from the same no because they don't look the same they don't act the same one is crawling slow and the other one is flying with the speed of the wind well 
if the believer does not change your thoughts with the Word of God, and the Word of God is the only thing that has the power to do that, because the Word of God will actually go further than what your emotions can take you. So like your emotions, well, you may feel like God is real today, and five minutes later, you may feel like, well, what is all this? But if you're just going by your feelings, what's going to happen? Well, then you have, oh, today was a good day. I love the Lord today. And man, yesterday was a horrible day. Why? Because you're living by external influences and external things and then what your mind is feeding to you. Well, your mind really controls your actions, but your actions will never change if your mind doesn't change. And the way that your mind changes is with the word. Hebrews chapter four says that the word of God is alive and powerful, sharper than any two-edged sword, dividing into or asunder soul and spirit. Well, you're a new creature, not in your flesh and not in your mind, because Paul said you, you need to be saved, uh, saving of your soul, which is your mind, your will, and your emotions. So you're a new creature on the inside. So the word of God is really the only thing that can put a dividing line between the soul realm and your spirit. That's important because you get involved in a lot of situations. There's a lot of pressure, a lot of decisions that have to be made and have to be made quickly. And when that happens, especially life or death, your emotions start to uh, tremble. <laughs> you know, they may start to scream at you. And so you don't want to make an emotional decision when life or death is at stake. You don't want to make an emotional decision when a relationship is at stake. You really don't ever want to make emotional decisions. <laughs> Your emotions are not bad. They're just not stable. I just told everybody in the church that we're unstable <laughs> emotionally. No, your emotions don't have stability on their own, right? You're a spirit, you have a soul, and you live in a body. And so your emotions are good. It's not bad. That's how God made us, with emotions. But to let the emotion make the decision, man, if you're feeling good, you're going to act good. If you're feeling bad, you're going to act bad. I mean, when I was in Tulsa, Oklahoma... This is not the offering message I thought I was going to preach on. <laughs> so when I was in Tulsa, Oklahoma, I'm driving down the road, and uh, I'm getting on an entrance ramp to a highway. I think it was I-44. So I'm getting on I-44. I'm getting on I-44. You know, they have these triangle white lines with crosses like this. It means you're not supposed to, like, pass over those lines to get on. You're supposed to wait because they've got so much acceleration lane and the traffic's not expecting you to come then so that it makes everything safer. So I'm going, and this pickup truck, of course the pickup truck is Oklahoma, so pickup truck is behind me, just really riding close. And so I'm going, and I'm going the speed limit, you know, maybe a little over on the entrance ramp because sometimes those are pretty slow speeds, you know, and it was a straight one, not a curved one. So I go to get on, and this guy, as soon as you get maybe like, 25 yards before the end of that white triangle. He just crosses right over, like this, comes around, gets right next to me. This is back in, um, what, 2001, 2002. So 
he pulls out this knife that's like this long and looks at me like he wants to kill me. Like, ah! And I was like, oh! Well, that affected my emotions. Because I was like, what did I do? I mean, I, you were in the car, yeah, and we have probably hadn't been married for very long, a year or two. And uh, I was just like, whoa. Well, you kind of like feel, at least I did, kind of feel sick to your stomach. Like, uh, not like you're necessarily going to die, but you're just kind of like, well, that was major escalation. <laughs> and I didn't even cut you off, you know? <laughs> like, where did that come from? And so you can't go by your emotions, because your emotions would be like, well, this is a horrible day, and an incident like that happens. Yeah. <laughs> no, but it wasn't. It was just this guy has some frustrations that he <laughs> needs to take to Jesus. <laughs> See, you think I have got off the scripture, but if you just look up in Philippians chapter 4, be careful for nothing but in everything. <laughs> By prayer and supplication, with thanksgiving, let your request be made known to God. Well, if you're just going to go by your emotions, you may find that you could become that guy, right? Praise the Lord. So the Word of God will actually, uh, the way I, I actually saw it from the Lord one time is it, it'll like, cut a connection between the power that your emotions have over you and the power of your flesh, the pull of your flesh, and your spirit. Because in your spirit, man, you're a bright and shining example of everything that God is and has done. He recreated you. How can I say that? Because you're so amazing? Not necessarily. But he recreated us in Christ two good works that we should walk in them. Well, in your union with Christ, where you are a new creature, if you act from that place of who you are in Christ, you find that written in the word. If you act from that place, it'll be like you were born again all over again. Why? Well, when you're first born again, man, you, you know something has changed. Something has drastically changed. Why? Well, before you didn't have the Holy Spirit bearing witness with your spirit that you are a child of God, that you're in his family, that you have been birthed from above and from him. And once you're born again, you have that. You know on the inside. You might couldn't tell somebody, how do you know? I mean, the way you can know is because it's in the Word and you act on the Word and you say the Word. But for years, I didn't understand that. But I had what Romans 8 talks about, which is His Spirit bearing witness with my spirit that I was a child of God, right? And so you think about that. We have supernatural communication and connection with God Himself to say, you are my child, you're my son, you're my daughter, you have standing with me, not just as a servant or a peon or a pawn, but you have standing of sonship. And I don't know if daughtership is a word, but you know, and daughtership. 
you know, uh, used to be that everybody's talking about the millennials, and now um, I'm, I'll pray for the millennials, the millennials that are here, but now it's Generation Z. So now they're talking about Generation Z. Seems like they can do anything with words they want. So Generation X. <laughs> Verse 13. I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. You want to say that, Joel? I can do all, hey, sit, sit, sit. I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. Philippians 4.13. Very good. Philippians 4.13. I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. You know, uh, Amplified Translation says, if any man be engrafted into Christ. Other translations say, if any man be in union with Christ. In other words, the life that is in the vine flows to the branches. Did I mess this up? I think I did. Sorry, Jeremy. Okay. <laughs> Much better. If any man be in Christ, well, he said, I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. He did not say, I can do all things. I can do all things. Well, this is a challenge. I can do all things. That's not what he said. I can do all things through my union with Christ or through Christ. I can do all things. Who strengthens me? So he is strengthening you. Uh, notwithstanding, you've done well that you did communicate with my affliction. Well, that's just a King James way of saying you did well because you gave financially where I had lack. Now, now you Philippians know also that in the beginning of the gospel, when I departed from Macedonia, no church communicated with me as concerning giving and receiving, but you only. Imagine being that, you know, uh, having that to your credit to your account, that you were the only church that supported the Apostle Paul. Wow. Wow. What fruit. What fruit. For even in Thessalonica, you sent once and again to my necessity, not because I desire a gift, but I desire fruit that may abound to your account. So Paul's saying, I'm not actually talking about this for me. I'm talking about this for you. And that is why, you know, really every week, we talk about worshiping the Lord. Uh, there's a lot of concerning faith in, in here, you know, as well. But we'll always minister a little bit, at least, on the subject of finances, because finances affect everyone. And it's really not so that you'll give more, it's so that you'll give better. And so that if you have lack, if you're struggling and, and to meet your bills and paychecks, this is the answer right here. This is in 2 Corinthians chapter 8 and 9. But your flesh, talk about your emotions, would be like, what happens when you have uh, more expenses and you didn't expect, you didn't expect? What is the natural tendency? What are you taught? Just in the natural, it's unwise then to just frivolously spend. You have to clamp down, right? Well, that's a good thing except when it comes to your giving. Why? Because God multiplies your seed sown and he'll give seed to the sower. So I like how Pastor Mark Hankins says it. He says, it's okay to be tight at Walmart, but it's not okay to be tight in your giving. <laughs> friend of mine, pastor of the church uh, in Georgia, and um, she used to be one of the uh, singers in band, and they went through some difficult times at their church. So what did they do? They clamped down. Actually, they kind of stopped giving. 
as a church, what happened? They got tighter. You know, uh, is it over in Proverbs or Ecclesiastes where it says, there is he that keeps more than what is meat or more than what is proper, and it tends only to poverty. The liberal soul will be made fat or be fully supplied, like will have abundance over in Proverbs. So like your natural mind, your feelings are going to say like, okay, now it's time to clamp down. What I like to say is, because most people, this is uh, doable for them. When those thoughts start to come, just give another dollar. If the Lord puts something else on your heart, that's fine. But just out of principle, that you are not going to let lack rule you and have the last word, you just sow something you didn't expect to sow. For most people, maybe for the kids it would be a little less, I don't know, but for most people, you just say, you know what, I'm going to sow a dollar. I'm just going to put it right in the devil's face. Say, so you're not going to control me. Lack's not going to control me. Something happens when you give out of faith like that, that it sets you free from the power of that money over you. That you say, I refuse to be dominated by lack. I refuse to be dominated by poverty. Why? Because Galatians 3.13 says, Christ himself has redeemed us from the curse. Well, curse, what was the curse? Look over in Deuteronomy. In Deuteronomy, the curse was spiritual death, sickness, and poverty. Pretty much most of the realms that we all interact with. Well, we have been redeemed from that. So you have no right to be poor as a believer. So don't just like take and say like, this is how it's supposed to be because this is, you know, this job only makes so much. You know what? Uh, the Lord told Kenneth Hagin, if you will be led by my spirit, I will make you rich. I'm not opposed to my children being rich. I'm opposed to them being covetous. Well, you think about it. When's the last time the Spirit of the Lord led you to lack? No, you led you to lack. Actually, normally what leads you to lack is your greedy thinking. Because the Spirit of God is generous. He is not greedy. But if you be led by the Spirit, He will increase you. Make you rich. Rich does not mean a millionaire or a billionaire or a trillionaire. There's none of those yet, but I'm sure there will be one if Jesus waits, you know. That's not what that means. It means an abundant supply, that you have more than enough for every situation. And if you are a giver and you are a sower, according to the Holy Spirit who inspired Paul to write down and to speak 2 Corinthians chapter 8 and chapter 9... He said, y'all know my favorite verse, <laughs> that you, having all sufficiency in all things, can give into every good work. So that right there says that the will of God is not to take finances from you so that you, don't, you can barely get along, but you're supporting every good work. He said, no. Why? Why? Because the Bible also says, he that does not care for his own house is worse than a non-believer. Uh, and I don't recall the verse right now, but it's over in the Gospels. Jesus actually spoke to this subject. 
And he said, you know, you're going to like show up in church and you're going to give a tenth of your tithe and you're going to give offerings, but you're not going to take care of your own kids. That is wrong. So, you know, funny, we went on a vacation last week and uh, we never went on a family vacation without going. We go to her parents or my parents or something like that. But we never really went on a family vacation until we moved here to start the church. Why is that? Well, uh, you know, just the kids were really little and just how things worked out. And, you know, we would give, uh, always give quite a bit, uh, you know, ministries and churches and stuff. And so we would give. When we moved here, the Lord put on my heart. He said, I want you to take your family on vacation. And I said, well, do you know how much money that will cost? <laughs> He said, you know, when I say he said, inward witness, you know, he said, he spoke to me in my heart and he said, well, you would give that much in an offering. You give $1,000, $1,500, not talking tithe. You just give that as an offering. I said, yeah. He said, well, I want you to go on vacation. I said, okay. So this is all like, you know, my meditation with the Lord in my heart. I said, okay, so maybe we'll cut back on the offering a little bit. <laughs> And they're going on a vacation. He said, I want you to do both. And I said, Lord, do you understand that we just moved to Washington, D.C. at your direction? And I don't know if you've looked at cost of living stats on Google lately. But, Lord, if you look it up, you might find that it's a little more expensive than Michigan, West Michigan. He said, I want you to do both. I said, okay. So then what happens? Well, I have to take a step of faith. So I say, okay. So, Lord, I'm going to believe you for the money. So I believe the Lord for the money. And um, we, uh, the first couple years, I was still contracting. And so uh, finances came in, so we were able to do it. I think it was the third year um, uh, we went to do it, and I didn't have the money. I'm like, hmm, maybe we should not go on the vacation this year. But you know what? It's funny when the Lord speaks, like, it's just like it was yesterday. There's no time in the spirit. So I kept having him speak, you know, like I could hear the echo of his voice that had impressed my heart forever. Right? Because he spoke. And so I said, well, we need to go. I said, okay. Well, so I said, Lord, I claim this money in the name of Jesus. Mm -hmm. Satan, take your hands off the money. Minister and spirits go cause the money to come. What was it like? We booked the tri that trip in January or February, and uh, uh, maybe it was March or April. I put it on the credit card, right? And I'm like, okay, the money's coming. You know, we'll have it. And uh, one of our board members called me up and said, uh, hey, we want to uh, bless you with $1,000. Could you use that? I'm like, yeah, I could. <laughs> so the Lord provided what is that well I might as well turn over there real quick uh, 2 Corinthians chapter 9 2 Corinthians chapter 9 verse 8 and God is able to make all grace abound towards you that you always having all sufficiency in all things may abound to every good work. So the Lord's saying right here, he spoke that to my heart. The spirit of the Lord spoke that to my heart. Well, he doesn't speak of himself. So either God the Father said that or Jesus said that and the Holy Spirit re repeated it and told me. 
Because Jesus said he won't ever speak of himself. Whatever he hears, that he'll speak, right? So the Holy Spirit spoke that to my heart. Well, the Spirit of God, uh, the Spirit, there's another scripture, the Spirit and the Word agree. So the Holy Spirit's never going to tell you to do something or tell you something that's outside of the Word of God. That is not the Holy Spirit. Now, there may be a scripture that he quickens to you or something he says to you that's in the Word that you don't recall or you have not seen. But if, the, if it is the Spirit of God, he is speaking by his Word. So what he spoke to my heart is right here in 2 Corinthians chapter 9, verse 8. That he said, I want you to do both. That is right here. And God is able. How am I going to do both? Oh, it's going to take faith. I'm going to have to look to the Lord. I guess we're going to have to act in faith. <laughs> living by faith is one of the most thrilling and adventurous lifestyles that you could ever live. Why? Well, because sometimes you're right on the edge of the cliff. Somebody said, walking by faith is stepping out over the aching void of nothingness with nothing under your feet but the word of God. Well, the first time I heard that, I thought, whoo, that's an amazing example. But as the more I grow in the Lord, what more significant thing could you have under your feet than the very words of God? What is more stable? Like you think, well, I'm going to walk out on this bridge to cross this little uh, chasm. And it may look like uh, when I was uh, over in the Philippines a few years ago, I went up uh, into the mountains to a friend of mine's church. And on my way up into the mountains, you could see they had these rope bridges going over this huge ravine with like water. I mean, it's probably a 200-foot drop. And it's just like these ropes. And you could see these boards on it, like some of them were falling out and everything like that. And I don't trust that. I mean, it was beautiful, but I was like, huh. And so I did not go on it. So, but you may find like you're going to go across this bridge or that bridge. When we travel with Brother Hagen, we used to travel across on I-40. There's a bridge, I think it's in Arkansas, like a four or six lane bridge on Interstate 40 going across there. Never give any thought like this thing is solid. This thing is stable. Well, no, we went out on one trip and about two hours after we crossed over it in the bus, a barge hit that bridge and knocked it over and cars went into the river. So even what man makes and you think this is stable, it has nothing compared to the word of God. You got nothing under your feet but what God said. But what God said lasts forever and endures all things. And the psalmist said, David said in Psalm 119, that there is an end to the perfection of everything. But there is no end to the perfection of your word. You think about that. You go, you get whatever it is, the brand spanking new, this thing, that thing, you get it. But you'll find an end to the perfection of that sooner than what you would prefer. <laughs> yeah. But the word of God, there is no end to the perfection of the word of God. No end. So and God is able to make all grace abound towards you. That means this is something that God is doing. Grace. All grace abound towards you that you always, all the time, every time, all the time, every time, always having all sufficiency. In other words, we always have what we need to meet our needs. We never have lack. Oh, I did not plan to go this long, but listen, <laughs> Lester Summerall, when Lester Summerall went over to the Philippines, he's going to the Philippines. He's getting ready to go. 
And he gets, he, you know, Lester Summerall preached at a church about 10 miles from where I grew up in the house, in my house I grew up in. That's the word I say it. And so I went to his church one time as a kid, didn't understand what was going on or whatever. And uh, afterwards, I was like, ha, ah, ah, ha, that was there and I didn't know it. Ha, ah. he was with Smith Bugglesworth after all. But the ultimate thing is he was with Jesus. You, you, you get with someone who knows Jesus and you yourself get to know Jesus. This changes everything, every circumstance, every situation. There, there is no problem that's too difficult. The, the, the thing is, if you let it, time will dominate you. Time will ruin you. Because you know what? You prayed, Lord, heal that person. And you've been praying that prayer for 15 years. And so you think the problem is God. Time can really damage you if you let it. Because this has happened, this has happened, that happened. Why did this happen? Why did that happen? Well, if you don't watch yourself, you're going to act more based on what your experiences are than what God has said. I remember Kenneth Hagin said, you know, God raised him off of a deathbed. He was supposed to die. No one had ever lived to be as old as he was and still alive with the diseases that he had. His blood was orange if you would draw it out. Not red, orange. He had a deformed heart and then he was paralyzed from the waist down, but a lot of the time from the neck down. He had partial paralysis. He said, it would take me 10 minutes to turn one page in my Bible. 10 minutes. But God raised him up. So he had all of that experience, all of those experiences, those years of being paralyzed. From when he was a little kid, he couldn't do like all these kids and go out and run and play. If he did, he'd pass out just because he couldn't get enough oxygen, his body wasn't processing right, all of this. So every external influence that he had said, you're going to die. This is the end for you. You've already made it longer than most people with this disease. So you're done. He said, I would lay on a bed. He said, I'd pray. And I'd say, Lord, Lord, heal me. And he said, I would cry. Tears would fill my eyes. And I would know that the Lord had heard me. So then I'd go to feel. And he said, nothing felt any different. So I would just cry. Because I had experience with God. He said, even having an experience with God, knowing that the Lord heard you getting into the presence of the Lord, doesn't change acting in faith. It wasn't until he saw what Mark eleven twenty three 23 and 24 actually said, that you have to believe that you receive when you pray. He said, oh, because he's told the Lord. He's very honest. He said, I would not lie over a penny, and he kind of wouldn't. So he said, I told the Lord, I do believe. And if you say I'm not, I'm going to call you a liar, respectfully. He said, the Lord didn't get mad at him. The Lord said, you do believe as far as you know. 
In other words, the reason for not believing sometimes is because you don't know or a lack of knowledge. For years I grew up. I, I received the Lord at a young age, was born again at a young age. I didn't know that divine healing was part of redemption. I didn't know that by the stripes of Jesus we were healed. I don't recall ever reading that in the scriptures. So all I'm left to go with is circumstances, what I see, what I experience, what other people experience, that I respect experience. Well, you can respect a lot of people, ministers or not. But what they say doesn't really have a hill of beans to do with a lot of things. I don't know where that saying comes from. <laughs> if it's not the words of God. Because the words of God have power. Man is born again, made brand new by the very word of God. His words create his life in a human. Hallelujah. His words create his life in a human. Glory to God. Wow. 